Hello and welcome to a special episode of Cold Pizza. Yeah, I have Pastor Matt on for kind of a, um, a, a, a side course. I don't know if this is the salad or breadsticks <laughs> or whatever that you get, but uh, not to push that metaphor too far. This is, this is hot pizza. It is hot pizza. The way pizza is supposed to be eaten. It's hot and ready. I've been saying this from the beginning. <laughs> We're not changing the format. Sorry. <laughs> just today. We're just going to start doing this on Fridays. Or, or this is your BOGO. This is your buy one, get one. Yes. Yeah, this go. one's free. <laughs> you don't have to tithe for this one. Not for this one. <laughs> we want to spend a, a short time exploring some more of this idea of temptation that he uh, touched on, on on Sunday. We talked a little bit about on Monday for cold pizza and really just get an opportunity to kind of unpack some of this. Um, there's been some questions even in home group we heard this week as some people are like, I'm not sure why this matters. Other people are, are wanting to understand exactly how Jesus relates to us um, and exploring more of his divinity and his humanity. All of those things kind of wrapped up into this, this one thing and how specifically it helps us understand him from Hebrews as a high priest. So, with that, we're going to kick most of this over just to Pastor Matt, let him kind of explore some of this with us and uh, and hear how we can understand our high priest, uh, particularly in relation to Hebrews here. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for joining me, guys, and, and thanks, Russ, for kind of walking through this uh, with me. Um, as as you know, Russ, my uh, kind of where my heart and my mind tends to go to is kind of down to the the mundane moment like so all right that's that's cool we got to talk about these kind of high lofty things christ and he was tempted but didn't sin as we do and so uh we should uh should lean on him and we can trust him and we should hold fast our confession and and those are those are good things um and and that's where we need to start but then like so what does that look like today when i'm driving home and that driver cuts me off, or uh, when I'm uh, making a phone call, or when I choose what song to listen to or not to listen to, um, what does that what does that do? Uh, like, how do I deal with that moment? Um, because all of those things we talk about uh, have uh, a bearing on that. Yeah, and some things the scriptures are very clear on, and other things are not. It's clear on things like drivers cutting you off, eye for eye. Right. Yes, you, you, you take, should take them out. Yes, um, <laughs> but on other things, it's a little more gray, you know. Yeah, well, and it's the I, I think the the church for a long time has has just been absolutely uh, terrible at helping people uh, move beyond token application. Sure. So and, and it is go hard home to... and be nice to your wife tonight. <laughs> Well, fantastic. That's 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 not very helpful. Yeah, it is hard sometimes to remember and explore all the categories, but it's also something that we're supposed to do on the active listening side. It doesn't. We don't have to be spoon fed that from the pulpit, mm-hmm. but there is a good amount of training to your point that we have to we have to be ready to do mm-hmm. to bring these things home. Yeah, yeah. The the hope from the, on the pulpit side is just to model it. Yeah. Right. I'm just going to give you some examples of of moving this down into the layer of uh, a daily life. Mm-hmm. But even then, like your life's a little bit different. So it's going to look a little bit different even than when I give my list of eight items. Yeah. Right. 
So uh, with that said, uh, Pastor Jeff was, was working through uh, the chapter that had uh, uh, verse 15 or chapter 4, verse 15, and where Jesus is said to have been tempted just as we are, but without sin. And, and, uh, and Jeff wonderfully treated that passage and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and again, you get to that temptation portion. And then the next day I was listening to uh, Doug Wilson's blog um, podcast, and he starts talking about temptation, but particularly in that blog as it as it related to homosexuality. And uh, basically, someone had called into question his hermeneutology, like his his understanding of sin uh, and temptation, and and just the as if he's not been dealing with that extensively for like five hundred weeks, word by word, <laughs> of the different. <laughs> In, in his in his uh, podcast, he, he podcast. always yeah. podcast. He's in the middle section. He always does a study on homardiology and looks at every single word the Bible uses for sin. Yes, I, exactly, exactly. So, um, and he and at the end of that blog, he basically says, "Yeah, you wouldn't have said what you said had you actually read the other things I've written and listened to the other things." And he says, "Then you can you can check them out here, and you can check them out here, and you can check them out here." Uh, so uh, he, he he yeah. So anyways, he he got to that blog, and I'm like, oh, man, that's so helpful. Like that's just it's kind of that next layer down. What does this look like? So with that said, there's a lot of his influence uh, in here. Um, it was just uh, really helpful in, in thinking through this, um, and I'll, uh, I'll quote him, you know, uh, when I think it's appropriate. But um, anyways, it, it, to kind of kick us off here, to, and I'm going to try and run through this as fast as I can for time's uh, sake. But, you know, in, in Hebrews, we have this, we've deemed this kind of primary theme uh, subtitle as a, a life firmly planted in the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the, the overarching theme in Hebrews is uh, the priesthood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then, but the priesthood of Christ for what purpose? So you, you in, in, in every book of the Bible, it's easier to see this in epistles, where you'll have an overarching theological theme, and then you'll see the pastoral application of that theme. So yeah. Paul... Uh, is going to write in the book of Ephesians these these big lofty theological themes, and then the second half of the book he's applying those those themes. Um, and in Hebrews, though, it's a little more cyclical in fashion, kind of like uh, kind of like Peter is. So you have a theological theme, and then a reminder of the the application, and then a theological theme, and then a reminder of the application, a theological theme, and a reminder. And you see that, I think, a lot in Hebrews. You see this theological theme of the supremacy of Christ, uh, specifically as it relates to his priesthood, and then you see the application particularly of assurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, me, let me back up. Um, perseverance, rather. Uh, you see that theme pops up back in. I, I Hold fast. Um, approach the throne of grace. See to it. See to Don't it. Strive. Strive. Right? Um, and that's just going to continue the rest of the way through the book of Hebrews, um, by and large. Um, so the question is, is, well, how does that rubber hit the road? How, like, what's it look like? What, what do I actually do with that? Um, and that's where a couple weeks ago with, with Pastor Jeff, hold fast our confession, right? And, and we can say that confession in different ways, but um, 
but just f- for this conversation, you know, that, that Christ is supreme, that his means of justification is, is the only means of justification before God. Uh, any other proposed means of justification is not a justification. It's mm-hmm. not possible. It's not effective. Well, conversely, it's, it's actually condemning further. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so each and every day we must hold fast. Uh, and we hold fast to the confession, again, that, our, that, that Jesus is our great high priest, that he is the supreme one. Uh, and this, again, you're going to hear a lot, particularly his priestliness, as we get here into the end of chapter 5 and 6 and uh, 7. Um, and that when you stand under the judgment of God, your only hope is uh, a mediator, is Christ as our as our mediator, someone to deal with the judgment that is justly yours. Yep. And uh, and that's a priest. And Jeff told us last week that we're to draw near, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, and there we'll find mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we are told that we can draw near with confidence is this, and this is kind of where I want to kind of start to draw us in here, is the reason we're told we can draw near with confidence is because, that's verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, again, Jeff didn't have time, I think, in that context uh, to like dive into that, for he in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so that's why I want to like kind of jump into that moment right there. So we're really just going to focus in on that phrase, tempted as we are yet without sin, and we're going to explore that temptation. Because I think it's right there in the mundane moments of temptation that the battle for holding fast and the battle for drawing near is conquered or defeated. Yeah, that's what we were talking about in the office that week. He was trying to decide how far to jump in on this temptation mm-hmm. piece, and we ended up, you know, pushing more towards uh, the fact that we have a high priest. This is where he's setting it up for the first time. Yeah, and then really the the um, the imperative of the of the section, which is verse sixteen, right? Mm-hmm. Draw with confidence, draw near. Why? Because we have a need that we may receive mercy and grace. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, and why can we? Because we have a high priest who has been tempted. So the question would be, what kind of high priest? One mm-hmm. who has been tempted. Yep. yep. And, and to your point this past week is, and it's it's what kind of high priest? It's one who's qualified and who's appointed. And so yep. he didn't address as much the what kind so much as there is one, and this is what we're to do. Yeah. So what is then temptation? So I, I, I'm going to give you a definition of temptation. That's my operational definition. Temptation is the moment something seems delightful, and now you're faced with a choice. Hmm. Yeah, that's so, helpful. <laughs> yeah. So uh, looking at one of uh, the sweet ladies in our church, it happens to be in, our, uh, in my home group, uh, cooks these delicious chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> that, they're just that are amazing. And, uh, and, and some of it's because they're, they're always gooey. And there's salt on top, that's, and I just that's the right I, way. I love that sweet salty thing going on there, and I'm not a big sweets person, but they seem delightful, and now I'm faced with a choice: do I eat or do I not? Uh, now the te- now first of all we gotta understand temptations n- not always toward a bad thing, like eating a cookie, eating her cookies. That's not a necessarily a bad thing. However, temptation is usually used in the negative sense. 
Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit in our ethics class. I think it makes it helpful. Is not thinking of good and evil as um, two opposing forces, but two different ends of a spectrum. So all evil things are simply good things that have been corrupted. Well, that's true because um, evil, uh, no evil has ever been created ex nihilo. Exactly. So uh, And no sin is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, no sin, no evil is yep. ever out of nothing. Yes, it came from good mm-hmm. that was made evil. Yep. yep. So in the in the cookie illustration here, uh, you could be tempted towards that good thing in a bad to, toward a bad end. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be uh, towards at least something sinful or maybe at least unwise. Yeah. So in the cookie illustration, not covering my feelings. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, eating her cookie is not necessarily uh, evil necessarily. However, if my health would be in jeopardy, it could be sinful. Sure. Uh, if I was told by an authority uh, that I'm not allowed to have one, then it would be sinful. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I eat it in order to escape some life situation, then that would be sinful. Uh, and those are very real temptations. Um, but we got to remember, though, the desires can be for good things or bad things, and then also for good things becoming over-desires. Sure. Right? So a desire for a cookie is a fine desire. A desire to eat that cookie to escape your bad day is a, is a desire for a good thing gone bad. Uh, and a desire to murder someone because they took your cookie is, you know, also <laughs> evil. Reasonable. <laughs> I mean, for these cookies, I think so. Thou shalt not steal. Yeah, don't take my cookie or you will die. Now, uh, I think it's helpful. We have to also say that temptation, we have to understand temptation can come from different places. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So let me give you some scriptures here. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's 1 John 2.15. That would be an example from the scriptures of being tempted by to, to, to love the world. Now, clearly this is not a rejection of loving the world in totality, but an inordinate desire towards the world, a worship of the world. Then you have the flesh. So you have the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the flesh, Galatians 5, 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now, that's an important passage. We're going to come back around to that in a bit. But Galatians 5.24 is referring to this, this, uh, this flesh uh, that ultimately has died with Christ. Um, this is the, the evil, corrupted spirit um, that uh, has been ruined by sin. Yeah, Paul's at war with in Romans 6 and 7. Yes, exactly. And thirdly, you have the devil. Ephesians 2... Uh, the second part of verse 2, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This would be uh, like Jesus in the wilderness, uh, the devil coming himself to tempt Jesus. Uh, now, something I heard recently that uh, Vody uh, Bacham said is that we tend to be lopsided, though, in the understanding of the these three influences. For sure. What are the sources of our temptation? Some of us view the world as the only problem. So we just got to get away from the world. It's everyone else's fault. And we just stay far away from anything that's of this world, kind of Amish style, or we're just blaming everybody else. 
That leaves us, though, with the flesh and the devil and largely unguarded. Uh, but second, some of us always focus on the devil. The devil made me do it, or the devil was tempting me. Just looking for the devil everywhere. Uh, you know, it always cracks me up when I when I hear people talk about the you know the the devil. Uh, is I'm like, he could have. I just don't think you're that important. Oh just, no. Just you know, most of us will never meet him. I, I, listen, he's been sitting on Biden's shoulder for the past two years. Like. <laughs> I, he 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 flips between there and Kamala Harris and RGB, but she's gone now. And I mean, they're celebrating together. Uh, and then maybe Nancy Pelosi, and eventually they'll be together too. But like that's where he's at. Um, he's you know. You've got Wormwood. Yes. Um, but then if you the devil, well, then the the world and the flesh again is left unguarded. And some of us think that the only problem is the flesh. My temptation is always from within. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then the devil and the world goes unguarded. So, uh, first of all, when it comes to temptation, you need to have a holistic view of these things. Um, where is my temptation coming from? Um, now, remember, the battle to hold fast to our confession comes at the moment of temptation. That's where you have to win that, that battle. I mean... Yes, you're going to have good moments throughout the day and through many days, Lord willing, that you're going to hold fast to that confession. But it's the moments where that's tested. Like We're going to learn in this upcoming sermon that, that Jesus' ability to hold fast to the confession, if you will, uh, when life was easy, did not prove the depth and the intensity of his, and the fidelity of his righteousness. So that's why it came down to the trusting his father through the bearing of the weight of sinfulness of all of mankind. Hmm. That, that in that moment, that as that, those moments leading up to that, that, that trial, I don't mean the trial before Pilate, but the trial of trusting his father into the cross, that, that his, his plea to the Lord to his father there was not to remove the cross from his plight. Um, that his, even in the garden, his, his desire to like, father, please let this cup pass from like that, that his struggle in that was, was not um, so much a struggle of, I don't want to go to the cross. It was a God. I understand the frailty of my humanity mm -hmm. and I need your help to endure it. Mm -hmm. And so Christ endures in that moment the most intense measure of testing of someone's righteousness that anyone could ever go through. Mm -hmm. The most that you and I could be tested would be underneath the wrath of God. Do we trust him underneath his wrath? Well, Jesus does that, but not just for one man, but for all that have been chosen. Yeah. And he comes into that moment of intensity being tested, having never experienced any of the Father's anger towards him. Yeah. Let alone all of it for all of his chosen. Mm -hmm. To infinite measure. So in that moment, for him to be able to entrust his life under the intensity of that temptation... Uh, proves the intensity of his righteousness. 
which is just astounding. So it was in that moment where his, his confession is being tested greater than our temptation would, uh, or our faith would ever be tested. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. So we have, in that moment of temptation, the moment something seems delightful and you have a choice. Mm-hmm. Do I pick up my thoughts and place them on Christ? Or do I let those thoughts run away from Christ? I mean, that's really, if we will boil this down the brass tacks. Yeah. There you have it. So here's the question. The next question I asked was, where does, where does temptation turn to sin? Is it sin when I'm tempted? Or, or even because something seems tempting? Where does it cross the line? Is it sin even if I have a proclivity towards that sin? Mm. So like lust for a man? Mm-hmm. Or emotionalism for a woman? Now, I, I, yes, men can be emotional too for all those who just said, said yeah, but. Um, but for a man, when a woman or a girl walks in with pants that appear to be painted on, and it's noticed. How dare you? <laughs> he, yeah. He, he, and he notices. Is that sin? When is it sin? Yeah. For a woman, when, when that time of the month rolls around and her emotions begin to heighten, and those emotions are on the verge of getting into the driver's seat, notice I said on the verge, is that sin? Just because it was tempting? It seemed good for the moment. Is either person now on the hook to confess sin, ask for faith, and walk in repentance? Like, what, what, what's happening? What, what, what do we need to do? Uh, and I want to argue that the moment of that temptation is not a sin. Mm-hmm. If it is, then we have to consider Jesus, because Christ was tempted without sinning. And if that's the case, then temptation must not be synonymous sin. with sin. Yeah. yeah. I can't equal that. So here's the deal. We're being told to strive to work out our salvation to enter that rest. That's what's happening in Hebrews. And to do so by going to Jesus who is tempted as we are yet without sin. So we're to hold fast our confession. Because that's where our justification is wrapped up in, is whether or not he was tempted legitimately and then therefore acted without sin legitimately. Like those to that, obey the law, to earn the righteousness, all that. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you say, well, why does it matter whether Jesus was tempted and without sin or, or blah, 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 blah? Well, your justification hinges on that. And when we talk about holding fast to your confession, your confession needs to be a little more than ankle deep and just saying, well, well, Jesus, uh, Jesus is my justification. That's my confession. <laughs> oh, well, that's fantastic. Um, that's milk. Um, move on to something that's that's more chewy. Yep. Um, we're in that category. Um, now, moving on, we cannot say that the temptation, though, of a sinless human being, Christ, and a sinful one are identical. And this is where, like, particularly Doug Wilson was was really helpful. But there is significant overlap between the two, kind of like a Venn diagram. So back to verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He was tempted and tempted just as we are. So you have the lust of the flesh, so the desire for food, 
Remember in the wilderness where he's there for 40 days, like the 40 years of the wilderness generation, right? Yeah. Um, desire for food. So he says, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Mm-hmm. Then you have the lust of the eyes, where he is, where he is tempted with unfettered, uh, I'm quoting someone here, unfettered access to kingdom, cities, wealth, riches. And how does Satan do that? He shows him from a mountaintop, you can have all of this. So mm-hmm. the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life. The devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and told him to test God. It was greatness, power, fame, glory. Yeah. Right? He was tempted and tempted to feel the force of it, mm. such as we. So then, but so, could Jesus... So with, would that be then what James is talking about of the desire that we have that's alluring and enticing? Yeah, I think that's the, the the that is the corrupted nature, the luring, enticing. The 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 uh, it seems delightful for the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that's where I'm going to get to that in a moment. That's where that Galatians passage, for you've been crucified with Christ. The flesh has been crucified with Christ. Okay. That's what I think, James. Is that that it, it is alluring? Um. Uh. Yes. So, so let's ask a question though. But could Jesus have actually sinned? Was he really tempted like me? So, how could he possibly relate to my struggle? And, and I mentioned this in the sermon this past week. Yes and no. Uh, it, Wilson used the illustration, and and I used it on Sunday as well. Is were the Lord's bones breakable? Well, yes and no. With regard to their nature, yes, they were breakable. His body was breakable, just like yours and just like mine. But with regard to the will of God, his sovereign decree, no, his bones were not. In the Psalms, he, he prophesies that not one of his bones uh, will be broken. Yeah. So yes, he could break a bone according to his nature, but no, not according to God's sovereign will. So could Jesus have sinned? If he could not have, if he could not have sinned, then were the temptations he went through genuine temptations? And if they were not genuine temptations, then doesn't that unsettle everything i mean that should unravel everything yeah but the temptations were genuine and felt as such because in his nature yes but god whose word cannot be broken had promises through his prophets that christ would resist all temptation like in isaiah 53 11 mm-hmm. and thus it was not possible that christ would fall to his genuine temptations. Yeah. All right, so let's just kind of put a couple things together here. So Jesus being a man and uh, thus a human being, he would have desired good things like food, mm-hmm. like bread, especially when he was... <laughs> 40 days in. 40 days not eating. <laughs> I mean, I doubt he tempted him with this on day one, right? <laughs> uh, he, Jesus would have desired kingdom and wealth and riches. Like, those are not necessarily evil desires. Yeah. Uh, he would have desired greatness and power, fame. I don't think those are in glory. I don't think those those things are are evil. Um, and these again, these desires are not evil. But, and being tempted by them does not warrant sin and a confession. But in these times, Jesus responded each time with trusting the Lord. I mean, his appeal. Uh, you know, he uses various words in those appeals, but his his ultimate is, "I trust the Lord." I trust him. 
If Jesus would have said, okay, just one piece of bread won't hurt anybody, then he would have said, God is not trustworthy. The desire of my flesh for food is ruling me, not God. And then he would have sinned. Mm -hmm. Now, again, something that Wilson said, I, I think, uh, has really sunk deep into me. I, I think it's really helpful is the difference between the word sin and the phrase a sin or a sin. So example, back to the, the woman with uh, the clothes painted on. If a man sees this immodestly dressed woman and the moment he sees it, it looks good to him. Attractive. It looks attractive. The reason it looks good could be because of a particular kink in his corruption of nature. So not looks good as in, well, that's a, God has made a nice creation there. <laughs> it was very good. <laughs> but, but in the sense of, I want that. Yeah. Like, there's like th that moment. So that would be more the luring enticement. That's the luring enticement. So Jesus would have looked at that without a corrupted nature and would have said, I mean, God has created something beautiful here. Mm-hmm. What we're tempted with in that moment is to say, and I want that. Yeah. Right? And that's not and it's not mine to have. She so took of the fruit and ate. Right? So at that moment, you say, all right, so let's say in your train of thought, and this all happened within seconds. Look at that creation. God did a good job there. Good job, God. <laughs> and then the next thought is, ooh, I... I want like that. It's just all happening right there within within a split second. Mm -hmm. I want something that's not mine to have. At that point, you have an option. Like that. That's the moment of temptation. You have an option. Do I do I engage that thought, or do I uh, do I let it uh, take root, or do I reject that thought? And this was, this was particularly really helpful for me. If he immediately rejects the invitation, if you immediately reject the invitation in that moment within a second and walk away from it, then, then I believe you have navigated that situation correctly without being guilty of a sin. Mm. So I don't think you at that point need to repent for sinning. Sure. But... And this is the key. You should thank God that your flesh has been put to death with the death of Christ and that the life of Christ is now yours as you walk away. Yeah. But if you don't reject the invitation or the temptation and you let the thought make a home, now you are guilty of a sin and must walk out confession and repentance for a sin. So I'll give you another example. Maybe you're working on a house project and it isn't going quite the way you would like for it to go. And here comes the moment of temptation. Do I let my discontentment rule my day or do I thank the Lord for his kindness, commit my faithfulness to him and walk in joy? And you say, I choose joy in the Lord in that moment. You have navigated the situation correctly. You should thank God that your corrupt nature has died with Christ and his righteousness is now yours, and you should walk away with joy. So uh, 
I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm, I'm going to trust my notes and stick to my notes here. But, but here's the problem. I think most of us get caught up right there in that moment. So the scenario looks the same. We're tempted, but we navigated it rightly, and yet we walk away feeling guilty and defeated. Mm. Right? Yeah. So it, we walk away because uh, not only was it, oh, this is a beautiful creation, then that next thought is, I'm tempted to want that, mm-hmm. right? That's not mine to have, that uh, whatever the situation is. But then you say no. You walk away from the temptation, navigating that rightly. I think we're tempted to though to still walk away, even having done that, with guilt. Let's say I'm such a pervert. And defeat. Yeah. Yep. Or, or man, I, I'm not you as perfect. I'm not as perfect as I'm supposed to be. Yeah, I can't shake it. Can't get away. And, and here's here's what I think you're forgetting in that moment is that your flesh has already died with Christ. Mm-hmm. And he is now alive in you. You don't have to keep putting that flesh to death. Now, there's a sense in which you do, and we'll get to that in a second. But there's a sense in which your your flesh is already dead. So why are you walking away trying to kill your flesh more? Mm. Like, like, there's a real sense. So this, this part is de- it should be dealt with as you walk away and you're communing with the Lord, this should be dealt with in justification, yeah. not sanctification. Hmm. What, you should, what you should celebrate is that that old man is dead. Yeah. And the fact that you walked away, leaving him hanging, mm-hmm. is evidence that he's dead. Now, there's still residue from that. There's still residual uh, fleshliness that we can still be tempted by, but he's dead. But it is dead. It's dead. And his justification is already yours. Mm -hmm. That's what was alive in you that led you to navigate the situation rightly. That's what the new man did. Yes. So you you should walk away celebrating. Yeah. Now, I think we're missing a key distinction. We do not have to confess our corruption of nature the same way we confess a particular sin. If we had to do that, then I agree with Wilson. Every one of us would be confessing our remaining sin, our corruption of nature, all the time, every day. All the time. All the time. It'd be a big black hole. Yep. But the moment of temptation that seemed good to you is a product of your corrupted nature and is indeed sin. So I don't want to deny that 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 evil desire there, it is sin, but it's not a sin. You deal with sin by appealing to justification. You deal with sin by walking, deal with a sin by walking out sanctification. Mm -hmm. So when you see that old man in that desire, but you navigate it rightly, then you you claim justification. Yeah. That old man's dead. I feel like this is where you see some of the Puritans get stuck while others get stuck and then walk with freedom. They lament their sin the most, right? Yeah. And some of them, you can see a little bit more of that um, depression. And I can't shake 
it in a guilty sense that they are are missing that justification component, whereas others are saying I am prone to it. I'm I recognize that that fleshly residue is still there, but then you see so much more of them still walking in the freedom of their justification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's great. It mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense of what I've seen. <laughs> mm-hmm. So our corruption of nature. So that's the. In, in the scenario, it's the moment where that th- that evil thing seemed good to you. Mm-hmm. That's the corruption of nature, and it's addressed through our justification wherein Christ's righteousness has been ap- imputed to us. The kink in the nature, which is indeed sin, needs to be addressed, but not the same way we deal with a particular sin. Yeah. That corrupted nature is dead, but now you're, quote, feeling bad end quote, after you even said no to the temptation is the reality of you not living in the restfulness of justification. Hmm. Yeah. That nature is dead and gone. It was buried with Jesus. Leave it there. I I think that's what we were struggling with a chapter ago, and we have a lot of sheep that feel goatee. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, th- this is particularly helpful for people who are not, um, are, are not walking in just explicit, high-handed rebellion. Sure. Right. Yeah. Th- this is where the sins are not so quite on the surface. Well, I mean, you're literally describing people who are being faithful. They're saying no to sin. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So now. Dealing with, I'm going to go back to quoting some uh, Wilson. He gave this example with dealing with temptation and sin. This is uh, why there are three, what he would call three different type, uh, kinds of mortification. And this is some John Owen in here as well, mortification of, of sin. Um, first of all, you have, so the, the three, you have the, the death of the old man, the old way of being human. This is equated with the overthrow of, of the rule and reign of sin and the dominion of sin, Romans 6, 6, Galatians 5. The old man is dead. You don't have to keep killing him. (laughs) And I think that's a myth. When we talk about mortifying sin, you don't have to keep mortifying the old man. He's dead. Mm -hmm. Leave him in the grave. You're the one that keeps picking him back up and treating him like he's alive. Beating a dead horse. He's dead. You claim, claim the justification of Jesus. Like that's You need to preach that to yourself. This is something that's marvelously true and equally true of all who are genuine Christians. That is what we've been saying so far in in Hebrews. That is what we're calling the rest of justification. Yeah. The dead man's dead. Mm -hmm. Like, he's dead. There is no half dead. He's dead. He's all the way dead. (laughs) And you are not the one that killed him. You don't get credit for killing him. He died with Christ. Yeah. By faith. Yes, this is not Monty Python or Princess Bride, right? <laughs> Number two, mortification, occurs in the lives of Christians who have stumbled or fallen, and significant sin has grown up in their life. So Colossians 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So these are not small things. But... He's talking to legitimate Christians. Yeah. The action he is calling them to is a decisive action at a point in time. 
Turn from these things. This is the walk in faith and repentance. Okay? Then number three, uh, John Owen here. A man should not think he makes any progress in godliness who walks not daily over the bellies of his lusts. So Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, the verb here is that of continue and ongoing. Yeah. This, you will never get away from this side of glory. Mm-hmm. So you have the first category, that man's dead. Stop taking him out of the grave. He died with Jesus, and, and God put him to death and gave you a new life. That's done. I think that's where we we tend to want to get him back out of the grave in that moment of temptation yeah. when when the corrupted spirit, uh, the corrupted nature was there. We're, we should just walk away saying, no, he's dead. Thank God he's dead. And thank God the righteousness of Jesus is mine. Therefore, I'm justified. Mm-hmm. But then two is, is, is grave sin. Like you've fallen into uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and so on. That one seems to be the most obvious. That's case. the most. That's then number three, is this like continuous plucking of the little things of evil that you see? Yeah. Like and and basically Owen is saying, you're crazy if if you think you're going to make any progress without doing these little things every day. That's the consistent weeding. Yes. So example, Wilson gave us this this idea oh. of a of a weed patch. <laughs> Right. Uh, so, but this, but listen to this. This way it says this: God plows the weed patch under and makes it a garden. Mm-hmm. The old status is dead. It's now a garden. It's now a garden. Yeah. It's not a field of weeds anymore. He changed the status. Number two happens when the garden is untended for a week. You come back and you got weeds to your thighs. Just like that. Where'd this come from? Uh huh. Yep, uh, man. I was I was having that conversation with my my boys at breakfast time today. We're talking about uh, men who don't lead well in their houses and how weeds grow up mm-hmm. in those houses. And I I took the time to apply that specifically to to their individual lives. Like, buddy, when we see this weed in your life, so well, this was in the context of we've let our kids place uh, uh, some FIFA World Cup on on our phones. And that stupid Minecraft game. And uh, literally, that's the only video games my, my kids ever get to play other than uh, Wii Fitness at grandparents' house. Grandparents' house. But what we've noticed is some bad weeds in their life. Like, for example, last night, their heads were stuck on those games uh, for the half hour that we let them, and no one shut the door to the chicken coop. <laughs> uh, now, this is a real life or death situation here. Okay? <laughs> So they now now I almost got up and and killed them all the, the you know the kids not the chickens yeah because Sarah woke me up at eleven and said hey gonna die Sarah woke me up at eleven and said hey I I don't think none of the kids mentioned shutting the chicken coop so I went out and sure enough it was open so today mm-hmm. at at and for other reasons along with the chicken coop thing uh, we just talked about how like you guys when you're on that video screen the rest of the world disappears to you. Mm-hmm. And that's foolishness. You have to learn how to navigate that fun thing while not letting the real world around you fall away. Yeah. And so because of that, that's a weed that we've seen growing in your life, and we're going to pluck it up. So for the next two days, you don't get to have this, and here's your warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we got to talk about tending the garden. 
Yeah. And so it was a great conversation. Um, and uh, But then number three, every morning, pull up the weeds that are the size of your thumbnail. That's what mm. you should be doing. Yeah. They will be there every day. Go pull those up. Yeah. And so that makes sense of, of the Puritans that I've read. Is uh, There's a lot of them that are stuck in, in one. Mm -hmm. They are consistently uh, beating that dead horse of of the old man, and and I think to me that is a not an, even an over realized, but a, a not letting go ness of total depravity. Yeah. For the Christian, you start with total depravity as you're dead. Yeah. But when you are made alive, total depravity is not the reigning rule for you. No, correct. Absolutely. And I think this is where, I mean, one of the many things, but I think at, it, at our core, one of the things that just unlocks like the oil of gladness, that unlocks joyful living, because now you, you should be ruled by your confession. Mm -hmm. And my confession is the, dead, my, the, the old corrupted man is dead. And Christ is now alive in me. And because of that, I am justified. Mm -hmm. And then, if that's what you're ruled by, then when you get weeds that are high, what's the big deal with confession? Mm -hmm. Because you believe the first thing. Yep. So, what's the big deal with confession? Or, 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 or I'm ruled by this justification. So what's the big deal with pulling up, with, with like, with going out and pulling up a bunch of little thumb-sized weeds? Well, I think the frustrating thing is for the other Puritans is, man, get me away from this body of death. Like, I'm sick of these weeds. I don't want them here. Yeah. I want to honor the one who gave me this garden. Um, I spend my time over here to the point of your kids doing this section, but then I totally forget about, you know, the northeast lot and. That garden keeps getting bigger, and can I hire some people to pull the weeds up in my life? <laughs> Need some farmhands. Yeah. So, I mean, I see how you can you can be encouraged that you're in the garden, but yeah. still get really frustrated, though, well, that there's... Yes. Well, this is the thing. You, you've got to absolutely celebrate regularly the fact that the Lord turned the weed patch into a garden you've got to celebrate that and you've got to celebrate that every day all day long mm -hmm. and i think that in that moment of temptation so how do we resist temptation i think in that moment you have to remember i'm not a wheat patch anymore yeah yep as someone i think it was in the parenting class said i think we were talking about this or maybe it was after service said that that's 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 a different way of saying you're no longer a slave to that sin, yeah, because you're no longer dead. Hundred percent. Like that. Oh, that the the old man's dead. Yep, he's gone. He's not the slave master. You don't live on his plantation anymore. Mm -hmm. You're alive to righteousness. Yep. So how do we resist sin? We'll we'll land this plan here in just a moment. How how about these? How about those temptations? Even the ones we have a proclivity towards. If they are resisted temptations, the person concerned, I believe, is doing well. Mm -hmm. And if you understand the beginning of Hebrews, you say, well, thank God for the imputed righteousness of Christ. 
which directly addresses the corruption of nature. Mm -hmm. like that, that I think is the beauty. And that, I, th I think it was when Wilson, I think that's, he said that phrase that to me was like, it took for me Hebrews to the next level. <laughs> yeah. Like it just like, okay. So I navigated it well. And as I walk away, if I understand Hebrews, then I'm going to thank God that I have Christ's righteousness and my, my old man died with him. That even goes into uh, your passage from this past week or coming up, whatever. Uh, he has to make the, the human priest, high priest, had to make continual offerings. Yeah. And Christ did one. The work is done. Yeah. yeah. The man's dead. Yep. He's dead. Um, now, we all have sins that, that lay pretty close to the bone. I, I like that phrase from, from Wilson. Um, you know, around here, we sometimes call those things like source idols and, and whatever, um, which I know Russ, you've been saying this for a while, but we need to stop identifying <laughs> ourselves as certain idols. Yes. Like I should stop saying I'm a power idol. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm a man alive in Christ. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. Yep. And you're, you're not a comfort idol. You're a man alive in Christ that, that corrupted nature that has the proclivity to worship comfort. He's dead. Mm-hmm. He's dead. And what I need, I need to remind you less that you're a comfort, that you, that you're a comfort idol and remind you more that your comfort idol has, has died. Yeah. That the man who worshiped that is dead. You know, one of the, my favorite. And you're alive to Christ. One of my favorite conferences, classes that we did was when we took each of the four G's and devoted a whole session to each of them. Mm -hmm. And really just showing, cause like for me last night in our home group, we're talking about evangelism and I'm like, man, evangelism for me, the on-ramp is the goodness of God. Like <laughs> mm -hmm. I find what good people like and I explore that with them and I show how all of it goes back to, to the Lord. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, yes, I, I'm not a comfort owl. I uh, celebrate goodness. I yeah. Have, I have a good God. <laughs> you, yeah. You're, you're alive. Mm -hmm. um, now that matter in your bones that lays close to your bones uh, is truly broken, busted, perverted, and truly improperly sinful. Mm -hmm. It's it's sin that 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 it would even seem enticing. That's that I think that's that evil desire, uh, such that James is talking about mm -hmm. there. Um, but Wilson said this. But if I tell you that you are defeated, and already committing sin at the first sign of battle, then you are giving people a counsel of black despair. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Again, there is an important difference between sinful and sinning. Mm -hmm. Every mature Christian knows that we all have to deal with the fact of our remaining sinfulness embedded in our flesh. Mm -hmm. We can and should lament the corruption of our sin nature, which is truly and properly sin. That's that corrupted nature. Mm -hmm. Remember and thank God for the righteousness of Christ. But we ought not to confess a sin until we commit one. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading uh, a, a, one of our a worship book for our liturgy stuff. And in there it's talking about how um, our motives in worship will always be these type of things. Like we'll always have some corrupt motives. We'll always uh, have a little bit of pride mixed in. And we confess and confess and confess and confess all of our tendencies all of mm -hmm. our old man stuff with and and neglect to say but this thing that i'm doing is real yeah this yep. thing yep. that i'm offering yep. is real <laughs> i the the thing that i'm actually doing right now is righteous it can be righteous because it's, yes 
in the power of Christ. Yes, and it's being done by faith in in Christ who's given me the new man. Yeah, so our caveats don't have to kill all of that. <laughs> yeah, when I think our, our caveats just just throw those in the trash. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I I remember, I guess it was a year or so ago now, uh, counseling. Uh, some, well, it was a little more of a confrontational counseling time, but uh, I just remember there being this huge sentiment. Well, can you ever really do anything without sin? And I wish I would have had these words. I wish because it was it was just a so everything's done with sin. So um, stop holding me accountable. Essentially, is what it was. Um, and I wish I would have. I wish I'd have had these words to say, um, you, you have a, a corrupt nature, mm-hmm. um, that you're not living in the justification of, of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And then over here, you really did confess a sin or that you really, really did commit a sin that needs confession and repentance, mm-hmm. uh, which we did some of that. I just wish I'd have had a little bit better language. And can uh, you do things without sin? Yes. Yeah. That's called righteous living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I just yes. So so when the temptation is present and it seems good, but within a moment you choose to not act on it. You should thank God for the righteousness of Christ, that your justification rests in Him and Him alone, and that the old man is dead, and you should move on. And that is persevering. Yeah, you should move on. Mm-hmm. Like what? What are you doing in that moment? You're holding fast your confession. Yeah. Boasting in hope. Right. Boasting in hope. One day I'll be delivered from that by faith. By faith that this is a reality now, Mm -hmm. and it will become uh, a more apparent reality in the future. Yeah. And when the temptation is present and it seems good, but then you act on it, you should confess it as a sin. Repent. And thank God for his forgiveness through Christ. Ask for the right belief. And then you should move on. Um, uh, Wilson ended with a, a couple uh, uh, metaphors or a, a metaphor and a quote. Um, it's kind of like spiritual tennis. <laughs> uh, you don't lose a point when the ball comes over onto your side of the net. <laughs> you lose a point when the ball stays there. Yeah. Right, that, that's a, that's helpful when it comes to temptation. You don't you don't lose a point, so you mean I mean you don't have to confess a sin mm-hmm. because the ball of temptation came over onto your court. Yeah, it seemed good. You lose a point when the thought stays there. Yep, when you didn't send it back to hell. Mm-hmm. That that's when you lost the point. And then Martin Luther says this. You can't keep birds from flying over your house, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your chimney. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so hold fast your confession in the face of temptation. How? We prayerfully pick our thoughts up and place them in the right spot on Christ and everything he has said and everything he has done and everything that he has promised to do. Hold fast the confession and boast in hope. I hope that was uh, I hope that was helpful. I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot there to digest, but um, I've been digesting this since um, you know for the past couple of weeks, and um, yeah, finally get it off your chest. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it'll stir some questions and, well, and something such, we'll but. be diving into with DNA leaders uh, soon. We'll move back into some of our training and stuff. 
because this has serious implications for gospeling a heart. I mean, you're describing all of that. Mm-hmm. And and what does it mean then to not just walk back repentance, which is a lot of what we focus on in there, because we're working on a gospel change project. Yeah. But the, the, the part where you're victorious it needs to be celebrated and recognized for what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's the do-sheepy things. That's what's actually going to be enticing in our evangelism to people. We try to tell people the good news to what? To a life of dreary black despair no Mm -hmm. to a life of victory over sin and what does it mean to actually walk in righteousness yeah yeah that's huge it's good that's good good well again we pray this has been helpful for you um this is what it means to really know (laughs) in the loving and obeying Mm -hmm. yeah And, and again you can you can live that righteous life apart from being arrogant because here in two weeks he's gonna sound pretty arrogant in hebrews He's calling us to knowing this, and yeah. this is what we need in order to move on into maturity. So, I want to continue to encourage you to know, love, and obey, and uh, we will see you next week for a regular edition. Yeah, sounds good. See you guys. Take care.